430 years the Israelites were enslaved. Now, can you imagine that? 430 years they were enslaved. They were in slavery. Now, let me ask you this morning. If, if you could be free from like anything, if there's anybody or anything that you could be free from or free for, if you could walk out of here today with something that has entrapped you, that has made you a slave, that has shackled you for five weeks, five months, 55 years, what would it be? 430 years, the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians. Now, God heard their prayers. God heard their cries. And God begins to send them then, raise up a deliverer. And his name would be? And Moses' name means I was drawn out of water, which is kind of interesting. Even the name Moses means Moses was already foreshadowed as a deliverer just by his name. And so God hears the prayers of the people. We've been in slavery for 430 years. I'm going to raise up a deliverer, and he will be Moses, this little, little bitty baby. But, here's the big but. Before Moses could be the deliverer, Moses himself had to be delivered from a whole bunch of things. Now, I just want you to know where the sermon's going to land today, where the sermon's going to end today, because everybody in this room now in the church age is called to also contribute to delivering people from things and for things. I just want you to know the sales pitch. It's where I'm headed. It's where we live. It's where we are today. Everybody in the church age has been delivered from stuff and for specific purposes. And so Moses is going to be the deliverer, but before he can be delivered, he himself is entrapped and he has to be set free. Now, the Bible is really clear about Satan. We have an enemy, we have an arch enemy. And Satan is out to steal, kill, and to destroy your life. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Peter that he roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So we have an enemy who wants us to be tempted. And he wants us to give in to temptation. Because if we give in to temptation, then we're no longer free. We're enslaved. And everybody in the room over 10 years of age knows that sin entraps you. Sin does not set you free. The more that we sin, the less free we actually become. And so we have an enemy that wants us to sin. Now, maybe you came last week for the first time in a whole bunch of weeks or months or years, and you're still not quite sure about the whole Bible thing, or you're still not quite sure even that you believe in Satan. I do, but, but I'm glad that you're asking that question. Well, let me ask you this. Would you agree that there is at least a force out there in the world who's working against you? Would you believe that there's something in culture that's trying to get you to do things that are not in your best interest? You don't have to answer that. That was a rhetorical question. But it's just it's a good question, isn't it? You see, I'm convinced that culture works against us. Culture baits us. And then culture discards us. Let me give you some examples. Culture baits us with money. 
borrow more money, spend more money, buy more things, go into greater debt, go into greater debt, go into greater debt, go into greater debt, buy this, 30 days, same as cash, buy this, no payments for six months, buy this. And then when we get overwhelmed and we can't make the house payment, we can't make the furniture payment, we can't make the car payment, culture then will discard us because now what were you? You were irresponsible with your money. And yet all the time, culture's baiting you to spend more and more money. And now that you have to sell the home or you lose the home or you go bankrupt, what's wrong with you? Can you not manage your money? Culture baits us, and then culture discards us. Alcohol, it's a great example. Culture baits us with alcohol. Now, I don't like beer. I don't like the smell of beer. I don't like the taste of beer, but I really like all those beer commercials, I have to admit. So you're to work tomorrow, and, you know, your other guy's preacher talked about sin, and what your preacher talked about? My preacher talked about beer commercials, and, you know, we learned a lot. I should go to your church. They're the great commercials. But yet, culture says what? What's the answer to culture? Culture says drink responsibly. Well, what does that mean, to drink responsibly? Well, I'm responsible until it becomes irresponsible. And once it becomes irresponsible, it's too late. And so culture baits you, baits you, baits you. And then when you become an alcoholic or you do something that's irresponsible, culture then throws you away. Culture baits you and culture discards you. Culture does that with sex. You walk through our malls and you see these pictures of all these, you know, scantily clad young ladies. And then when one of them gets pregnant out of wedlock, well, how could that happen? How did that happen? Well, my goodness, culture baits us and then culture discards us. And what's the answer for culture? Don't have sex until you're ready. I can just imagine how that goes on a date. Hey, are you ready? Baby, I was born ready. I mean, how does that go on a date, right? I don't know how that goes, okay? I learned about beer, and my preacher said he was born ready. This is a great church. If you're visiting today, it's a great church to come to. Somebody has an affair. Are we really that shocked when everything in culture is baiting us and baiting us and baiting us? I think culture baits us with retirement. This is a little weird. Maybe you don't agree with this, but only in America do we talk about retirement. Every other culture, people are working, working, working. Abraham may not have worked 12 hours a day when he was 85 years old, but he still worked four or five hours in the field. And in our culture today, it baits us to retire earlier. It's a status symbol. It's, it's significant. And then when you do retire, nobody calls you back. Culture baits us. And then culture discards us. And so all I'm trying to say to us today is sin will entrap us. And yet we've been called to be set free. And not only have we been called to be set free, we ourselves have been called to be deliverers of this freedom. And so we enter the story this morning. The whole Dittner, Dittmer clan did a great, great job of reading for us the early part of the story. Isn't that cool, seeing all five of those? And, and little Ethan up there reading Scripture too. He's a little stud. He's, a, he's awesome. And so we've got, we've got then, now he's 80 years old. We join the story when Moses is now 80. 
And so he's been in the palace. He's been a prince. And he kills this Egyptian guy when he was 40 years old. He runs away from, from Pharaoh. He goes and he finds this well. And there's all these sisters out there watering their camels. And he comes in and kind of rescues them and protects them and helps water them. And the father, he's a priest, the father said, why are you girls home so early? And they said, well, you know, this great guy came along and he allowed us to water our camels at the well and he actually helped us. And the dad's going, well, where is he? Bring him over for some fried chicken, girls. Are you kidding me? Bring the boy home. And so he comes home, he meets the family and he marries one of them. And for 40 years... The deliverer was being prepared by God. For 40 years, he's taking care of sheep. And that's where we join the story in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Look at this. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Verse 2. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Verse 3. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. You see, folks, the strange sight was not that the bush was on fire. Spontaneous combustion in the wilderness was not that big of a deal. The big deal was the bush was still on fire. The bush wasn't burning up. That was the strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? Verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Verse 5, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground, says God. Verse 6, then God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Verse 8. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of all those ites. Verse 9. You okay with that? Me too. Me too. Termites, I think, somewhere in there. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Verse 10. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, uh, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, you would think this would be like the Rocky movie or the Rambo movie where Moses, like, gets juiced and jacked and charged and ready to go, right? Moses is like, this is where he collapses, Moses falls down at this point. He's going, you know what, God? I'm afraid. I got all this insecurity. I've been there and done that, bought the T-shirt. It didn't work. I tried to redeem, rescue. It just didn't go very, very well. You see, you and I have been called to be deliverers. That's why we're now in the church age. God's called us Christ in you, the hope of glory, and we're supposed to help a whole lot of people. And yet we fall back just like Moses. Well, look, I killed a guy. Look, I don't think so. I'm in settledness. I'm doing a great job. I got a great life. I don't really want to get involved. I don't want to really want to ruffle anybody's feathers. Moses is 80 years old. He's got a burning bush experience with God. And he is chicken and afraid. 
and, and just overwhelmed with fear and insecurity. Look at verse 11. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring up the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, this is a really interesting point to me. Because what Moses does now is he asks two basic questions. These are two questions that you're going to ask yourself. And you're going to fill these in in your bulletin. This is your first little fill-in if you'd like to. But let's, let's fill this in. First of all, Moses asks, who am I? And he asks, who are you? And that's what everybody has to wrestle with. Everybody in the room has got to wrestle with, who am I? Well, I got all this stuff in my background. I got all these problems. I got all these different issues. And by the way, God, how, how big are you? Who are you, God? And where the heck have you been for 430 years? Right? Who are you? And where am I? Well, here's what God says in verse 12. Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. And God says, I'll be with you. And this will be a sign to you that as I who have sent you, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? It's a good question. And here's what God says. It's a famous verse. You've heard this before. I want to explain this though. And God said to Moses, well, this is what you're going to tell them. This is what you tell them who showed up, who's here. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am, I'm going to explain this in just a minute. I am has sent me to you. Look at verse 15, and I'll explain that. God also said to Moses, will you say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he has sent me to you. This is his name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to, to, to generation. Now, here's that big revelation. Here's what he's saying. I am who I am is the word Yahweh. I want to go back to the slide. This is Yahweh. And Yahweh means ever revealing. And Yahweh means my presence. Moses, I want you to know that I am Yahweh. And I will continue to reveal myself to you. I will continue to unveil my life to you. I will continue to unveil who I am to you. And my presence, Moses, my presence will go with you forever and forever. Now at this point, you would think Moses would get it. At this point, you and I should be getting it. Because this is exactly what God is doing in your life. He is revealing himself. God is Yahweh. Yahweh is his name. I am that I am. You tell them that I am is here. You tell them that I am has sent you. I am. Who are you? I am. Not I was. Not I will be. I am. I am that I am. Yahweh, I reveal myself. Isn't that exactly what God's doing in your life? He continues to unveil himself. He continues to reveal a little more of his character, a little more of his nature, a little more of who he is to you. And you feel his presence inside of you when you're free. And when you walk in freedom, you feel the power and the presence of Yahweh. And Moses is right now still the same old Moses. Even though Yahweh's there, even though the bush is on fire and it doesn't burn up, Yahweh 
still is going to have some experiences with Moses, and that's what will change Moses' life. So in chapter 4, verse 1, we have just a whole series of different signs. What if they did not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? And at this point, God then continues, Yahweh, to reveal himself to you. Now, have you felt that way? You've been saved. Jesus Christ has forgiven you of all your sins. He's put you in a position in a home or in a family or in a neighborhood or in a work environment. He's put you in a school situation somewhere, and you know that you've been saved from your sins, and you've been saved from, and you've been saved for. But my goodness, you know, like Moses, I got all this baggage. I got all these problems. I got all these issues. I got all these. How in the world can I go and try to help other people be free? And so God then says to Moses, What's in your hand, Moses? Well, this rod, throw it down. He throws it down, it becomes a snake. Pick it up, it becomes the rod again. Moses, put your hand inside of your, your coat. Pull it back out. Out it comes a leprous hand. Put it back in. Pull it back out. The flesh was clean. And Moses then began to experience and experience and experience Yahweh as he began to reveal himself to him. You won't change. And you won't grow until you continue to have firsthand experiences. When you have the firsthand experiences with God, that's when your life changes. That's when you begin to grow. Now, God is going to continue to have burning bush experiences in your life, and you will receive more of Yahweh ever revealing presence in your life, or you'll kind of shut that down. But it's the experiences with God that change you. You see, Moses is still the same old Moses. Moses is asking this question. Look at the next slide for me, if you would. Look at the next slide. Who who Moses is is not the question. The question is, who is with Moses? You see, the question is not, who are you? The question is not, are you a good person or you've been a really bad person? That's not the right question. The question is, is Yahweh with you? Is is Yahweh's presence with you as he continues to reveal his nature and life to you? I'm going to ask Saul to come up here at this time, if you would. Saul is the leader of New Life Solutions. And um, what I want to talk about for just a couple minutes are not New Life Solutions. I, I want Saul to talk about some of his experiences with God. Because Would you all welcome Saul, by the way? Welcome, Saul. His wife, Terry's down here on the front row. Welcome. Welcome. Good Thank you for being Pastor. here. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Now, he, he could come up here, and he could talk about the walk, and he could tell you it's two miles, and he could tell you if you can't walk it, sponsor people how to do it. I do pretty Excellent. good. But we're not going to do that. Because I don't want to talk about the walk right now. This is the leader of New Life Solutions. I, I, I know this man, and I know his experiences with God. They're phenomenal. And so I, I, what I'm trying to communicate this morning is that you put yourself in a position to experience God. And when you begin to experience God, your life is never the same. Sometimes God works through storms. Sometimes God initiates. Sometimes we initiate relationships with him. But just briefly, tell us a little bit about some of your experiences with God. Because here's a man 
who miraculously has been saved from for kingdom purposes. Mm. You know, uh, Pastor Kurt and I were talking the other day and um, uh, just kind of reflecting back on my life. And um, I was born in a little town in, in Greece called Thessalonica. Are we familiar with Thessalonica? So, uh, we're, and we're Spanish Jews. So I grew up in a Jewish home. So I call myself a Spanish, Greek, Jewish, Christian, praise the Lord. <laughs> uh, and with those roots, both my parents being Holocaust survivors and everything that they went through um, and being raised in that home, uh, it was a very interesting home. Uh, with my dad, you could do no right. With my mom, you could do no wrong. So I grew up with a split personality, you know, and prepared me to be a, a therapist for a number of years. But it taught me the insights of people and my people, the Jewish people. And, and here we are talking about Moses, and, and those, are, those are, quote, my roots. Um, and Moses, we, we learned that story growing up. And through that experience, I was sharing with, with Pastor Kurt, I said, I remember as a 10-year-old boy, I remember this thought came to me, and, it, and the thought was, you live forever. It didn't make sense. Because, see, I didn't know, I didn't know Jesus. And, and, in fact, most of my life, I thought Jesus was Christian. I didn't even know he was Jewish. <laughs> Think about that. I didn't even know he was Jewish. You know, and here we are talking about Yahweh. And one of my favorite scriptures is Proverbs um, 3, 5, and 6. And we could all say that together. Trust the Lord, what? With all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. The Jewish version is don't do it your way, do it Yahweh's. So the, the, all that, all that um, the good, the bad, the ugly, uh, growing up in, in, um, uh, with, our, with our background and everything, because neither of my parents got counseling. But through it, God just revealed himself. And then from there on, uh, later on, Terry and I met, we married, and uh, little did I know that the Lord would use the history of my parents, my mother being a Holocaust survivor, both of them being ho Holocaust survivors, they survived the Holocaust or World War II. And God now has me serving him in the Holocaust of, of abortion here in America today. So just like what you're saying, there's a calling. There's, there's, a, there's a calling and, and a, uh, a destiny for every one of us. Every one of us. And I happen to know mine. And thanks to my wife, Terry, who she was the first one years ago who shared with me what abortion was. And it's not of God. I always thought it was a woman's body. Let her do whatever she wants. But it's not. It's God's. And so those are some of the things that have happened to me to put me where, where Terry and I are now. And what, um, what a blessing. What a blessing. But I never dreamed I'd be here. I thought I'd be a therapist for years to come. You, you, you love Jesus. Oh. And one of the things I like I about that. being with Saul is we pray together. We're on the phone. We pray together on the phone. Uh, we're having lunch together. You know, the poor waitress is trying to bring us food. And he just keeps praying on and on and on. <laughs> and every time we get together, we're, we're, we're but you love Jesus. T tell us some of the, those, 
disciplines that you do that you just bring you closer to your relationship with Christ. It's not the disciplines are not an end in itself. They're the means to an end. How do you draw closer to Jesus? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, what, what I've learned to do is, is first thing in the morning is to spend nearly an hour with the Lord. Um, I, I've been reading a one-year Bible for years. I, I tell people I flunk I, every year. I got to go start all over again. But that keeps me focused and centered on the Lord. And, and then that uh, time of, um, of praying as well during that, that, during that hour. The other thing, too, that I've learned, Pastor Kurt, is fasting. Fasting is a discipline. And, we talked about that, didn't we? Oh, yeah. A couple and, weeks ago. Yes, you did. I, okay. I heard you did. And that is a huge discipline. And, and the, the modern-day church doesn't talk about it enough. You all do. Our church does at Countryside. And it is a, it's a discipline that, that I personally try to do weekly. And I encourage our staff to do at least monthly, one day a month, fast. But you, God taught us that he, he, um, he created six days, rested on the seventh. And if, by the way, if you notice that the last, on the sixth day he created, created man, and he said, oy vey, what did I do? He had to rest. He had to rest. And so we need to rest our bodies. We need to rest. Our Sabbath day is so important. And that's the other thing that, that God really um, convicted me on a few years ago is I'd be di- dictating and doing paperwork uh, even on Sunday because oh, there's so much to do in it's ministry. And he just spoke to my heart and says, no, that's my day. You're robbing me of my Sabbath day. And that's another discipline that we cannot take for granted. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will be what? Glad and rejoice in it. Well, I, I want you to know that we as a, as a ministry team of elders and staff and as a church, we're all for New Life Solutions. But, but I'm also really appreciative of the spiritual leader who is leading New Life Solutions. And uh, again, thank you for being here today. Thank you for sharing. We love you. We praise you. God bless you. Thanks. Thanks all. Thanks. 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 So when Moses' life began to change is not when God told him what to do is when God began to reveal who he was. And so here, here Moses is. He's beginning to experience God. Now Moses had a very specific strategy by God. He was to go to Pharaoh. He was to confront Pharaoh. He was to tell Pharaoh to let the people go. And he was to lead the people out of, of Egypt. And by the way, God said, I'm going to make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards you. You will not leave without resource. Now imagine this. You've been slaves for 430 years. The people have enslaved you. And after the 10th plague, God made the Egyptians favorably disposed. And so here they are. They're giving these Israelites their rings. They're giving them their bracelets. They're giving them their necklaces. They're giving them their silver, their gold. And the Israelites walk out of Egypt extremely wealthy with all the um, wealth of Egypt. And they walk out so they can have lots of resources to go into the new land. Now, what's so cool about this story to me is when they are headed toward the Red Sea, and you've got the, the old army coming behind them and the sea in front of them, all the Israelites kind of panicked, didn't they? But now Moses doesn't. At this time, Moses sees the Red Sea, and Moses now, because Yahweh has revealed himself, 
Yahweh has revealed himself through 10 plagues. Yahweh has revealed himself through favorable financial disposition. Yahweh has revealed himself through these different miracles with the Nile and the snake and the rod and all those stories that we all kind of loosely know about. When Moses gets to the Red Sea, everybody expects tragedy except for Moses. Moses expects a miracle because he's experienced God. That's the point this morning for you. As you continue to experience the presence and the power of God in your life, you will expect God to show up. You will expect God to do something. You will expect God to somehow make a difference in somebody's life through you. So here's the, here's the sales pitch. Everybody in the room has been called by God to be a deliverer. You say, well, I'm in, I'm in middle school. I, I'm a middle schooler, for goodness sakes. I don't, I don't have a great home. My parents don't even come to church. I ride to church with Joey or Jeanette or whoever. I mean, I'm, I'm in middle school. You really think God expects me to be a deliverer? Yes, I do. Because of Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm in high school. You think that God, do you think God wants me to be delivered? Can you think of a better place where there needs to be deliverance than in a high school? I'm a young adult. I'm a young adult, and all the young adults are going over here, and the young adults are doing this, and they're going over, they're, they're participating in this, these activities. You want me to be able to help people with their relationship with Christ? You want me to make a difference in people's lives? Every one of you in this room, every single man, every single woman, every single boy, every single girl, you've been placed in a context where God wants to be able to use you. And so for God to be able to use you more in your family, more in your school, more in your home, more in your neighborhood, more in your work environment, every one of those contexts, you start putting yourself then in a position where you can have spiritual growth. And so Moses began to position himself where he could experience the goodness and the greatness of God. That's what you and I do today. I think smart believers position themselves where they can experience more and more of God. Do you remember that first time when you knew that you knew that you knew that God was real? That first time where you just had that warm feeling about, man, God is speaking to me. God is touching me. God is embracing me. Do you remember that time at camp when you went to camp? And they sang all these crazy songs that you didn't know. And they talked about putting another log on the fire. And you went to camp. You sang Kumbaya. And you still don't know what Kumbaya means, but it's a great song. You sang the song. You put the log on the fire. And, and, and you gave your life to Christ. Do you remember what that feeling was like? Do you remember what that feeling was like when you got baptized? And we are going to baptize a whole bunch of people next Sunday afternoon at Honeyman Island Beach. Do you remember what that feeling was like? Do you remember the first time when, when God said to you to give away just a little bit of money and you're thinking, my gosh, I don't even have quite that, you know, and, and you did it and you knew that God asked you to do it and God put his hand upon you and he blessed you some other way? Do you remember that time when God asked you to like do something to serve three-year-olds or go on a short-term mission trip and you're thinking, how can I do that? I don't have the time. I don't have the background. And you did it and God blessed you and all those children and people were entirely blessed. You see, his name is Yahweh. His name is Yahweh. And Yahweh is revealing himself to you. 
And so you put yourself in a position where you can hear his voice. You put yourself in positions where you can feel his touch. You put yourself around other people who have experienced a ever-revealing God. That's why we do worship. But if this is the only thing you do all week, you're not going to get a whole lot of Yahweh. This is just the beginning, the big piece of the funnel. This is just where you start. This is why we're all about men's groups and women's groups. This is why we're sold on small groups. Because in small groups, you've got other people who have faith. And maybe that week, their faith's bigger than yours. Maybe that week, you're, com- that week you're coming in dragging into a small group because you've had a tumultuous arduous journey all week long. Somebody else that week's got a little bit more faith than you do. And their faith bleeds over on you and you walk out of there with a little bit more faith. Yahweh works through his people. And so you put yourself in a position. You know why? Because God always has for you something bigger and something better in mind. When God, go ahead and fill it in, delivers you, he has something bigger and better in mind. When God delivers you, he has something bigger and better in mind. And so what is God in the business of doing? God's in the business of delivering people. Well, first of all, number one, yeah, if you're not a Christian, you got to deal with sin. That's the first thing that's got to be delivered in your life. So you come to Christ. And the first thing that happens is you give your life to Christ. And Christ then wipes away all your sins. This is amazing. But Jesus Christ, when you become a Christian, he forgives all your past, your present, and all your future sins. It's too good to be true, but it's too great to pass up. It's amazing. Jesus forgives you. Second of all, Jesus begins to deliver you from all your fears. And he begins to deliver you from all your insecurity. It begins to deliver you maybe even from some of your apathy. And it begins to deliver you from some of you, I call it settledness. That's not really a word in the English dictionary, but it should be. We just settle. We just kind of get used to this going through life and we just kind of, we just kind of settle. So, so what happens is he will forgive you and deliver you from your sins. And then he begins to deliver you from all that garbage that has become a part of your life. And you pick up the garbage. You pick up the garbage when you're a little boy. You pick up the garbage when you're a little girl. You pick up the garbage from some of your home life. You pick up the garbage from some of your neighbors across the street when you're a little boy. You pick up that garbage in middle school and high school and young adulthood. You pick up some of that garbage when you're doing business with other people and you're 40, 50, 60, 70 years old. And when you come to Christ, all your sins are forgiven, clean. But you still got all this garbage still a part of your life. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's insecurity. And God begins to work through all of that. And so you then, because of your position in life and because of all the garbage that you've had, you're in a position to help other people be delivered. So I found out yesterday that Rick Warren's son, his 27-year-old son, committed suicide. Rick Warren's a pastor in Saddleback, California. My heart just broke. The kids had seen it on Twitter and stuff, and they were sharing that last night at at, at dinner. And, oh, my heart goes out to Rick and Kay Warren. 
my heart, my 27-year-old boy, struggled with mental illness for, I guess, well over a decade. My heart breaks for that family. I don't think that happens, so Rick Warren can use that to help deliver other people, but I know God will use that, and Rick Warren will help deliver other people. I don't think God caused it. I think God allowed it, and because he allowed it, Rick Warren will use it for the kingdom of God. You see, all the stuff in your life, all the garbage in your life, God's going to use it. God's going to use everything you've learned. He is Yahweh, and he reveals himself to you, and he pours himself out to you. So I, I just think this life is bigger than you going to work and making money and making a house payment. Isn't it bigger than this? So he delivers you from your sin. He delivers you from your garbage. And then he delivers you for all these kingdom purposes. Now, I don't have time to list all the kingdom purposes. We'd be here till next Easter. Well, that was last week, wasn't it? It was a blur. It was an absolute blur. You've been saved for things. You've been saved from and you've been saved for. So how does God want to use you? You see, Moses had to be delivered from Moses before he could ever be this great deliverer. And God's in the process of delivering you from you so he can use you to help be that deliverer as well. I don't know. Is it with kids? I think everybody ought to work with kids personally. I really do. Is it with students and teenagers? Is it with young adults? Is it short-term mission trips? I mean, it's a, it's a two-mile walk on May the 11th. If you can't be here, sponsor somebody, for heaven's sakes. How does God want to use you to help make a difference in delivering other people? We're going to save babies by this mission that we're involved in. We're going to save lives of babies. My daughter also, my oldest daughter also was an intern at New Life Solutions a couple of years ago. I had no idea that New Life Solutions were trying to save not just babies, but saving souls. And while my oldest daughter was there, I think they like had 42 women that became Christians that semester while she worked there. Maybe, maybe God's calling you to be a volunteer. Go talk to Saul to today. But you see, when God delivers you, he has something bigger. He has something better in mind for you. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask the prayer partners to come down front, if they would, at this point. And so during this time with the prayer partners, maybe there's three different things you'd like to pray for and be prayed over. Number one, maybe it's sin. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. You want to be free. You want to be delivered from sin. Number two, Maybe you want some special prayers today over a lot of garbage in your life. I was raised this way. I struggled this way. I'm still struggling with anger, insecurity, greed, whatever. Maybe number two, you want to come down and have special prayer for some of the garbage in your life. Or maybe it's number three. I know I've been saved. I know I've been in church, but I'm not exactly sure what God wants me to do with the rest of my life. Come down and ask for special prayer um, today. And if you've never been baptized into Jesus, I, I, I want to encourage you. I want to talk into it. I'll, I'll, I'll bribe you. I'll give you all the money I have. Go sign up. Go sign We learned about beer. We learned about bribes. This is a church for you. It's a church for you. The, the, every, I can't encourage you enough to be baptized. It's the greatest event in all of history. 
The greatest event in all of history is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to do that next Sunday afternoon to a whole bunch of people. If you've never been immersed into Jesus, go to the Connect desk, go, go sign up. You'll notice we're also beginning to sign up for, for groups. And we're big on groups because your faith affects my faith. The Jesus in you touches the Jesus in me, and we leave with more faith. If you want prayer this morning, please come down and be prayed for, be prayed over. Oh, God, you are Yahweh. You are the great I am. You are ever revealing, and you continue to reveal to us your good and perfect plan. Let us at least be smart enough to be putting ourselves in position and positions where we can hear your voice, feel your touch, be touched by other people's faith, and grow and grow and grow. In the great name of the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.